Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm not going to ask you if you're excited to be in the house of the Lord because I can tell you are excited. Isn't God wonderful? Don't you feel God's presence in this house? Man, as we were singing and worshiping the Lord, I just sense the presence of God in this place. And it's so wonderful and beautiful to be in the house of the Lord in a day like today. How many say amen? Amen. It is such a privilege for me to be with you today. I am so humbled that I get to speak to you. Amen. Especially on such a beautiful, beautiful day. It is Palm Sunday. Amen. Praise the Lord. And I looked to the stage today and I said, yes, praise the Lord. How beautiful it looks. How many say amen? Amen. I want to take this time to thank Pastor Nestor, obviously his wife, Pastora Lorena, their kids, the leadership of this beautiful church that have loved me for so many years. Obviously, Pastor Nestor and I go way back to our LABI days, and uh, we've had a great friendship over the years. Um, We won't go into details of the negative that he put behind my back. I appreciate that. Even though it was my back and not his, nonetheless, he put it behind me. So praise the Lord. Amen. There are positives in all these things. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to please go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 21, and I am going to read from a passage that I believe is so appropriate for today because it's actually what happened in Jerusalem on that day. And I'm going to take it from three different angles today, and I believe that you will be blessed today. Today is a special day. All around the globe, we celebrate Palm Sunday, which is the day in which Jesus came to Jerusalem to start the highest week of his earthly ministry and it is also called the triumphal entry and this entry set into motion his death his burial and resurrection I am not going to speak about those I'm just going to speak today about the triumphal entry if you have Matthew 21 and verse 1 say amen The word of the Lord says this way. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Lose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. Mm-mm. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. 
They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the king of David, to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's keep for a couple more verses. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame, why the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did in the temple and the children saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Uh, excuse me, my page got stuck. On Palm Sunday, anything can happen. Even your sins can be forgiven. And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you ever read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, because our brothers and sisters all across the globe are celebrating your beautiful entrance into Jerusalem. What could this possibly mean, Lord? Father, we praise you and we thank you today because we get to look at your word, God, and we get to study. We get, Father, a counsel from on high. We praise you today, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I've titled what the Lord has placed in my heart, the Savior is coming to town. That's right, he's coming to town. Uh, a little boy was sick on Palm Sunday, and he could not go to church. He stayed at home with his mom. His father returned from church, and he had a, a branch, a palm branch, in his hands. The little boy was curious and asked, Why do you have a palm branch in your hand, Dad? The dad said, well, you see, when Jesus came into town, everyone took palm branches and honored Jesus. The little boy looked at his dad sadly and said, man, the one day I did not go to church, that was the day that Jesus came into town. That's right. Today is the day that Jesus is coming into town. And this Sunday is special. Now, Jesus had come to Jerusalem in many other occasions, but this particular visit seemed a little different. This time he had taken, taken time to speak specifically about this coming. He had never requested a donkey coming into Jerusalem, but this time he did. The multitude of people had never gotten 
gathered at Bethany or Bethphage to receive him, but this time they did. They actually never took palm branches. They never put their coats on the ground so Jesus would walk in. He had never resurrected a man right before this coming, but this time specifically, he had resurrected Lazarus just a few days before. He had never been anointed with spikenard. A woman came and anointed him. He had never spoken about his death more than now and specifically he was tying his death to this coming by all practical purposes this visit was significant and today I would like to speak to you about the significance of this visit you cannot write the word significant unless you first start with the word sign if anything is going to be significant, it has to be a sign. So my question to you is, what is the sign? What made this particular visit significant? And what I want to do today is I want to answer this question observing three things. First of all, the historical significance. Significance. Number two, I want to go into the political significance. And number three, the spiritual significance. Are you with me? Yes. Praise the Lord. Let's go. First, first of all, let's look at the historical significance. We're going to go into the Word, so I hope you appreciate that. We're going to have to take a, a tour through the Scriptures. What happened in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday actually started on Exodus 12. So I want you to go there quickly with me, and let's pick up on a couple of hints to see if we can put this visit in perspective. Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 1, the word of the Lord says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year. So notice that what is about to happen, which is Passover, happened in the first month. In the English calendar, it's called Aviv. When the people of God went to Babylon, it was called Nisan. So either Aviv or Nisan, we will go with that. Look at verse number two. It says this way, this month shall be the beginning. Verse number three, speak to all the congregation of Israel saying on the 10th of this month, say 10th. On the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. So I want you to notice something from here, that it was on the 10th day of the first month that a lamb had to be chosen. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So you choose your lamb on the first month, the 10th day. You keep it for four days and you kill it on the 14th towards twilight. In other words, toward the night. Let's continue verse number 7. It says, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Notice that Passover was being taught here. And look at number eight in particular. It says, then they shall eat of the flesh on that night. Very key. Roasted in fire. <clears throat> 
with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. So notice that you have to eat it on the 14th at night. Now to us the night belongs to the day, but to a Jew a night actually starts the next day. Why? Because our day starts at midnight, right? But to a Jew, whenever sunset hits and the sun goes down, that's actually the start of the new day. Why? Because a Jewish day starts with the night. If you look at Genesis 1, you will see it was the night and the day the first day. It was the night and the day the second day. It never says it was the day and the night because it wasn't a Latino man writing the scriptures. It was actually Moses, right? So it was the night and the day. What does that say to us today? That maybe your day will start with a night, but guess what? There is light that will come in the morning. Day spring will come in the morning. But what I want you to pick up from here is that you choose your lamb on the first month, the 10th day, Amen. You kill it on the 14th towards the night and you eat it that night, which is actually the 15th. So Passover starts on the 15th, having killed the lamb on that very day, but early in the day towards twilight. Remember that. Let's go with me to Joshua 4 and 19. And let's see if we can pick up any other traits that we're going to bring into the story of Matthew. The people of God is about to enter the promised land. They were right in front of the Jordan River. And uh, the Lord has said, you must go in on this day. Question, what day did the people of God actually entered the promised land? I'm so happy that you asked me that question. We're going to go over it. Look at Joshua 4.19. It says this way. Now, the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. So the same day that, Jesus, that God had said to Moses, you choose your lamb on that day and you keep it. That is the same day that the people of God actually entered the promised land. Let me put it to you this way. The triumphal entry of the people of God into the promised land happened on Nisan 10, the same day that Israel was choosing a lamb to kill. Let's go to the story of Jesus now. Let's go to John chapter 12 and verse 1. So the key will be, how can we analyze the story of Passover in light of what we just read and could it could we prove with the scriptures that actually Jesus went into Jerusalem on that very day surprisingly we can look at John chapter 12 and verse number one the word says then six days before Passover six days before Passover we just established that Passover was on the 15th 15 minus 6 is 9. So on the ninth day of the first month, very clear, they had a great meeting. Look what, look what the Bible says. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, from he, whom he had raised from the dead. Then they made him a supper. Martha served. Lazarus was one of the ones that sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and actually anointed Jesus. 
I want you to pick up from this story that this very event happened on the ninth of the month, six days before Passover. Now I want you to look over and I want you to look at verse number 12 of that same passage. John 12, 12, the word of the Lord says this way, the next day, the next day, if you're living on the ninth and you go in the next day, what day is that? That is the 10th. That is exactly the 10th. It says the next day, a great multitude. And then it just goes on. It's the same story about Hosanna, the king of glory. So I want you to notice something. There is a historical significance to this event. Exodus 12 demanded that a lamb be chosen on the first day, the 10th month. The people of God went to the promised land, their triumphal entry on the first month, the 10th day. And now I just proved to you that Jesus went to Jerusalem on the first month, the 10th day. Why? Because God had told Moses on that day, I want everyone in Israel to choose a lamb for Passover. And this lamb is significant of something to come. But on the very day, not the fourth shadowing, but on the day of fulfillment, the lamb of God entered Jerusalem on that very day. Let me put it to you this way on the same day that everyone in Israel was choosing a lamb to kill on that very day God the father was choosing his son to be killed on the same day they were choosing a lamb because they had to by the law God in heaven is saying I'm not going to ask you to do something that I myself do not do. I'm going to choose my lamb as well. And Jesus going into Jerusalem has a historical significance. See, he is the lamb. Hallelujah. He is the lamb that God chose before the foundations of the world. How can we understand that? He was slain before the foundations of the world. You see, in the mind of God, God knew precisely that he was going to die for humanity. I want you to go with me actually to Genesis 49 because the triumphal entry goes back even to the book of Genesis. Let's go to Genesis 49 verses 9 through 12. I'll read them for you. Genesis 49 and 9, it says, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? I want you to pick up from here that when you talk about the lion of the tribe of Judah, this is actually where it comes from. And that's Jesus. Look at verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. In other words, God is saying, and Jacob is prophesying here into the future, that there was a man to come who would have the scepter. In other words, he would rule. He would be the one in charge. Look, look what it keeps saying. Until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. If you like USC, then you go fight on until Shiloh comes. USC, baby. But no, that's not what it means. You see, Shiloh means the scent. 
And what God is saying, the tribe of Judah will rule until Jesus comes. He is the sent. Who is Shiloh? Shiloh is Jesus. But look what it says. Look at verse number 11. It says, binding his donkey to the vine. Who is the vine? The vine is Israel. And his donkey is called to the choice vine. The choice vine is Jerusalem. Notice, he washed his garments in wine. In other words, this coming with donkeys is because there would be blood in the midst of it. And his clothes in the blood of grapes. And his, his eyes are darker than wine. In other words, blood would actually go into the sockets of his eyes and his his teeth whiter than milk. Why? Because he would still keep his purity. So I want you to notice that even from Genesis, even from Exodus, actually God is talking about the significance of this day. So let's, let's wrap it up. What is the significance of this day? That Jesus is the Lamb of God. That there is no salvation through anyone except this Lamb of God that came into Jerusalem on that day and while others were choosing their own lamb God himself was choosing the lamb maybe you say brother that's good that's a lot of bible brother but what does that have to do with me thank you for asking me another question I just love when people ask me like that let me put it in perspective for you number one God is always on time the bible says when the fullness of time had come he sent his son Jesus. He, he did not send it before time. He did not send him after time. He came on the very day. And that should speak to you today. Because some of you are going through struggles and desert. And you've been praying. And you're telling God, God, how come I, I see no breakthrough? How come you don't speak to me? How come nothing happens? You need to get a word today from on high. God is telling you today, I got this. There is nothing that you're going through that is a surprise to me. If you hold on to me and you are still obedient, I will come in. I will intervene. I will change change things right in the nick of time. Secondly, what God promises, he fulfills. The promise came from so long, but God waited until that day and what he said, he fulfilled. I'm telling you today, some of you need to get a hold of some promises. If you got some promises that are dying on your laps, you need to resurrect those promises today. And number three, when it comes to God, the past actually becomes a track record to the future. You see, in Western society, we look to the future and we say, I can't see into it. What will happen? And we look to the future as uncertain. What is going to happen of my kids and my family? What's going to happen for college and my kids? And you see, the Jews, they flip it a little bit because they do not look to the future. They actually look to the past. And when they look to the past, they see that God was faithful. God did heal my kids. God did intervene in my marriage. God did heal my body. And what they say is, if God did it here, he is going to do it here because he doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why do I say that to you? Because I know that you know that your God was faithful. Your God was gracious. Your God intervened in your life when you were 
jar and the gutter and he rescued you. He anointed you and you are here today. So if God did it yesterday, he's going to do it today. Blessed be his name. Hallelujah. Give him praise today. There is a second significance of the triumphal entry, and that is the political significance. This is where we have to dive a little bit into our text. God promised to David an eternal kingdom. The word says in 1 Chronicles 17, 11, and it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. Now, for a while, this looked great. Solomon came, then came Rehoboam, but the Bible says that at the, on the days of Rehoboam, Jeroboam actually split the kingdom. And now you have 10 tribes going up to the north. And that became northern, the northern kingdom, also called Israel. The city was Samaria. And then in the bottom you had Judah and Benjamin. And they actually became Judah. They were known by the tribe of Judah. The capital was Jerusalem. And for generations, every king, especially those in Judah, would call every king a Messiah, thinking that they would be a descendant from David. But things took a turn from the worse, for the worse, when in 722, Assyria actually takes the northern kingdom into captivity. Judah says, we're good, we're not them. We have a descendant of David sitting on the throne. But to their surprise, the Bible says that in 606, 597, and 586, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, actually came and took Judah into captivity. Seventy years they were in exile. I'm sure you know Ezra and Nehemiah came back, but they did not come back as kings. They came back as governors and priests. So my question is, what about this promise that God gave David? That a son would sit in, in the throne forever. God has said, one of your children will sit on the throne forever. This is where Jesus comes on the scene. Matthew 5 and Luke 3 show us that Jesus was actually a descendant of David. Physically and royally. Physically through Mary, royally through Joseph. So the people saw that Jesus healed people. Follow me here. The people looked at Jesus and they said, ha, this could be the Messiah. Uh, look what he does. He, 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 he heals people. He resurrects people from the dead. Ha, he, he walks on water. How can he not be or make an amazing captain? What a great general he would be. The Jews thought we need someone like this one to lead us against Rome. He can teleport and escape if he is cornered at any moment. And with this hope of insurrection and rebellion, actually they came to Jesus. One of his disciples was actually called a zealot, Simon the zealot. And, uh, he would not hesitate to kill anyone if it had to do with Israel and freedom was at stake. And they thought maybe this Jesus could be our political leader. 
Then they heard that Jesus was actually coming. Uh, he was at the Mount of Olives getting ready to come into the city. And they went out into Bethphage and the Mount of Olives with this expectation to make Jesus their political leader. Meanwhile, oops, Jesus had other plans. The Bible says that he wasn't riding on a horse, symbol of war. He actually came in riding on a donkey, a symbol of peace. He wasn't entering the city as a Roman general. Roman generals would ride on a golden chariot surrounded by his officials. They would bring in prisoners and the treasures would be exalted and brought in. The priests would walk in with incense. But Jesus did not choose to walk in that way. No one was playing pomp and circumstance on that day. But only the words of Zechariah that said, Tell your daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. His followers had no weapons of war. Even Simon the zealot had put his sword away. But the multitude, not understanding the moment, still pushed for political relief. They went out to Jesus and they said, Messiah, why don't you fight for us? And the unified idea was verse 9, 9 when they exclaimed, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna actually means save us, redeem us. In Hebrew, Oshana, which has the same root as Joshua, Joseph, Isaiah, and Yeshua. When they said Hosanna, they almost said Yeshua, almost the very name. And it comes from Psalms 118 verse 25. But this is where you may be disappointed today. You may tell me, brother, I am so happy that they said Hosanna to Jesus because they knew he would die for their sins. Did they? I can prove to you today that they knew nothing about his death. Jesus had actually taught about his death, but they could not put it together. When the mob went out to Jesus and said, Hosanna, what they were saying is, resurrect the eternal kingdom promised to David. Fight against the Romans and give us political freedom. You see, I will argue with you that none of them understood the significance of Jesus dying on the cross. The crowd was saying, we have seen you multiply five loaves of bread and two fish. You can do that for an army. We have seen you heal the sick. If any soldier gets killed, you just lay hands on them. You resurrect them. We got another soldier back. We have seen you walk on water. You can teach us how to do that. How are the Romans going to be against us? And with that political reason, they went out. And then we realize that in his first coming, Jesus did not come to establish a political throne. He did not come to conquer a throne made of wood or stone, but he came to conquer a throne made of human flesh. That is right, the hearts of men. He entered Jerusalem so the, king, so, so the kingdom of God could be established in the hearts of men. Seeing there was no reference to war, or to deliver them from Rome. The very people that on this Sunday shouted Hosanna. In a few days would actually say crucify him. 
He is not the one we thought. He is not the one we needed. We needed someone to deliver us from Rome. He's not interested in this. His profile doesn't fit who we want. And that is precisely where I want to stop for one moment. Because the profile that the Jews had about Jesus was actually confused. You see, when you look at the Old Testament, there are two profiles of the Messiah. One is called the Son of Man. And the profile of the Son of Man is found in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Listen to this. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was giving dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Notice that the profile of this Messiah was powerful. He had dominion, glory, and a kingdom. The Jews liked that. But the Jews forgot there was a second profile. And that is the profile of the suffering servant, which Isaiah describes to us. Look at Isaiah 53. He is despised and rejected by men. Yes. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And, he, and, and we hid... As it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he was born with our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all and in this announcement there is a Messiah that was despised rejected full of sorrow acquainted with grief grief and the Jews did not like that if you were living in that day who would you like a Messiah that is mighty full of power with dominion or and a kingdom or someone that comes basically weak, lowly, despised, smitten. I bet you would have been a Jew as well and said, we don't like him. We like the other Messiah. And you see, the Jews judged Jesus by the second profile and they ignored the first profile. They said, we want the son of man. But we do not want the suffering servant. Jesus tried to help them in Mark 10.45 when he said the son of man did not come. Notice that he refers to the mighty powerful king of the son of man. He did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jews, the Jews missed it. But we rejoice today. 
because we do not miss it. You see, he came as a lamb the first time, but he's coming as a lion the second time. He rode to Jerusalem on a donkey the first time, but he's going to be riding a white horse the second time. They gave him a crown of thorns the first time. He will be wearing the crown of king of kings and lord of lords the second time. He was made to bow down before his enemies, but in his second return, his enemies will be bound down but bowing down before him because of his words he was judged the second time he's going to judge by his words he came lowly and meek the first time he will come with power and great glory the second time hallelujah the fact that Jesus came to rule the hearts of men rather than a political kingdom how should it affect our lives you see, I believe that in three ways. First of all, we should be more about his rule on the hearts of men than we are about government. We talk about who is in government, who is in the White House. And I have seen so many people concerned about who is governing rather than taking the gospel so Jesus could actually rule the hearts of men. He could have come for a kingdom the first time, but he chose to rule the hearts of men. I think we should have the same sentiment. Secondly, I wish we were more, we were less Republican and more kingdom can. I wish we were less Democrat and more kingdom crat. I have seen so many people be divisive and polarizing over this point, but God came to rule the hearts of men. Thirdly, it should propel us to win more people for Christ. Why? Because his last command should be our marching order. Go into all the world and reach, preach, teach. Let them be like me. Let me finish today with the last significance. If you look at the scriptures, the way they're written, actually when a conqueror would enter a city, what they did the first time actually told a lot about his intentions. Because when a mighty general would go into a city, they would immediately go to a palace or a citadel and try to bring that other king down and then actually establish his kingdom. In other words, where they went quickly, as soon as they would enter the city, tells you a lot about his intentions. Now look at Jesus going into the city, this general. What did he do? Look at verse number 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God. And they should have known at that moment that he was about God. He wasn't interested in going to uh, Antonia's tower. He wasn't interested in going to Herod. He wasn't interested in any of that. He was interested about the temple of God. And if the mob did not get it then, I don't know how else they could have helped. Look what he did as soon as he went in. Verse 12 says, And he drove out all those, all those who bought it and sold in the temple and overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Why? Because first of all, this temple is a house of purity. Say with me, house of purity. And you need to know something. When Jesus looked at that temple, 
symbolically, he could actually be speaking to you today because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if in that day he cleansed that temple because he thought that was a house of purity, he's looking at you today saying, wait a minute. You're not separated from that story. You are my temple. You are a house of purity. I want purity in your heart. Then the word says in verse 13, and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Secondly, it's a house of prayer. And he's looking at you today and saying, in that day, I wanted prayer in my house. But in your day, I want prayer in you. I want you to seek me. I want you to bend your knees. I want you to come to the altar. I want you to be about a house of prayer. Because if you stay in prayer, my power will actually reside in you. Look at the next thing that Jesus did. Verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. A house of power. So why did the blind and the lame came to Jesus? Notice that it wasn't the mute and the deaf. It wasn't the lame and the mute. No, in particularly the blind and the lame. The blind and the lame came to Jesus on that day because those were the most rejected sectors of Jewish society. They were considered outcasts. In fact, David in 2 Samuel 5, when he's about to take Jerusalem, just like Jesus, the blind and the lame send a message to David saying, don't come here. If you come here, we're going to kick you out. As if saying, us, the outcasts, do not want you in here. But David said, when I get into Jerusalem, I will deal with you and you will never enter my house. But here comes Jesus many years later and he specifically play, prays for the blind and the lame. As if saying, one greater than David is here. <laughs> David did not accept the blind and the lame, but I am he whom the father put together or preordained before the foundations of the earth. I will heal the blind and the lame because this is a house of power. And finally, verse 15, I'm sure you have the story there. The men in the temple say to Jesus, don't you see these children? These children are calling you as Messiah. They're saying you're the son of David. And they became indignant. But look what Jesus says. Since this was a house of praise, come on. It comes from Psalms 8-2. And there it says, you have ordained strength. But in Psalms 8-2 it says, you have ordained strength. Here it says, you have perfected praise. So Jesus gives us an interpretation of what actually Psalms 8 says. Because over there, it says you have ordained strength, but here you have perfected praise. So could it be that your ordained strength is actually your perfected praise? Amen. You see, when you praise, things happen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me wrap this up because I see signs in the back. The spiritual significance of the triumphal entry is that Jesus wants to rule the hearts of men. That is precisely what he is about. 
He came for your purity. He came so you would pray and have a relationship with him. He came so you would exercise his power. He came so people would praise his name through you. Now think about this. If you live in purity and you add purity with to prayer, the ending result is power. And when you walk in that power, you actually have people praise the Lord for the things that he's doing through you. As we come to this beautiful day, this is a day in which Jesus visits the city. And if that is the key, I want to tell you today that he wants to visit your situation. Maybe today you're in the midst of a desert. Maybe today you're in the midst of... I don't know what my life is about. Maybe today you're in the midst of why is life happening this way? But you got to remember today that Jesus does not want to come into your city only. He wants to come into your heart. He wants to come into your home. He wants to come into your situation. He actually wants to say, let me in. Open the door for me and you will see the amazing and great things that I can do in your life. I want to ask that you please stand today. Hallelujah. Blessed be his amazing day. name. In a couple of days, Jesus would actually die on the cross. If you follow my story, you would see that he had to die on the 14th towards twilight. That is not Friday, folks. That's Thursday. Do the math. But let's not get into that today. The important thing is that he came to die. The important thing is that he came so you would have freedom. The important thing is that he came to actually bestow eternal life upon you. The Bible actually says that he came and he gave gifts to men. And I'm always touched, always touched by that little side story of the disciples that maybe doesn't have too much to do with the story or maybe it does. Jesus tells the disciples, go and get me that donkey. And if anyone says anything to you, all you got to say is the Lord has need of them. And today I want to ask you, how is your life? He bestowed gifts and abilities upon you. He filled you with a talent. The reason he came into town is that he could actually die for you and set you free. And through that freedom, you would be a vessel of glory. Through that freedom, you could actually proclaim his name. Maybe you say, but brother, I am cracked. Can't you see I am broken? God is telling you today, I know, I want my light to shine through your brokenness. I want my light to shine through that crack. Maybe you say, can't you see me crying, Lord? Can't you see the desert in which I'm at today? And the Lord says, can't you tell that I don't go by Kronos? I go by Kairos. Can't you tell that everything has been preordained? Can't you tell that nothing that you're going through surprises me? Can't you tell that I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end? I am actually the Almighty God. If you're here today 
and you tell me, you know, I can use a little prayer. I want Jesus to come into my situation. If he came into Jerusalem, that's great, but I want him to come into my situation. I'm actually going to ask that you please make your way to the altar because we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. Maybe you're in the midst of a storm. You're in the midst of the Sea of Galilee and you see the winds and the waves and you don't know why. I invite you to this altar today. We actually want to pray with you. If you're here today and your body is ill, he actually came to die on the cross to buy you healing. The Bible says that he came to destroy the works of the devil. In the book of Genesis, what did the devil do? He brought in death. He brought in disease. But Jesus comes in this visit because he wants to undo death. He wants to undo disease. He wants to give you life. He, he wants to give you healing today. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations, if you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in Him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.